0: Today, we have joining us, John Machinsky.
1: John, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Thanks so much, Chris. Great to be here.
0: It's great to have you on. John, tell us about your current role and your company.
1: Perfect. Well, I am the chief revenue officer for a company called Sea Experts, which is a subsidiary of Nearsol. And I've been with the company now for about four months, and it's just been an exciting time as we've been launching into a lot of new areas as an organization so it's a company that, that uh, if you're in the right circles, you know a whole lot about it. And if you're not, you probably never heard of them. Uh, but it's a 15-year-old BPO organization, so business process outsourcing. And where the emphasis of the company has been is in uh, building out new locations, um, site acquisition, build, operate, transfer type models for a number of clients in the BPO space and, and for end clients overall and uh, if you take a look at uh, at what we've been doing here uh, more often here lately it's going to be just more full service type bpo so what that means is that uh, we've been working with our clients to not only just provide them with the infrastructure and the people but now we're focusing on doing everything so from that standpoint where we're really known as an organization is uh, is providing a really strong culture so we've prioritized that you know it means that uh, you know, if you take a look at, at what we've done for, for our employees here, it's been really building up a strong employee satisfaction to be able to go along with customer satisfaction ultimately. And the problem is, you know, when you deal with culture, um, it's, a, it's a cliche. So, you know, you've got everybody who's a people company, you know, people are everybody's strongest assets. But if you really take a look at things, and, and you really drive down to the core. There's really only just a few companies that really, really focus on that. So, right. you know, I was interviewing somebody uh, a couple of weeks ago where uh, one of the reasons that uh, he'd wanted to, to talk to me in the first place, because he'd gone online and checked out our glass door scores. And, you know, typically that's not something that you want to advise clients to do is go go check us out, you know, because that's where people tend to air their dirty laundry. And that's yeah. where you, you find out you know, the bad stuff about a company you know, in this particular case, I decided to go check us out ourselves. And what I found actually was that, you know, among the, the 30 companies that, uh, that I found within our industry, we were we were top 10%. So one of the top three companies that are there. So it, it really emphasized to me just uh, just how much, you know, when we, when we talk about culture, how it really translates into employees thinking the same thing. Oh, so I love that. that's been great.
0: Culture is so important. It, it's If you don't have that, if you're not taking care of your people and really having them uh, participate and be part of the company, not just work there, but part of it, you're missing out. So
1: yeah. that's great. And in our case, you know, the, the, the chief service that we provide is, uh, you know, customer service and, and, and dialogues with our customers' customers. And so from that standpoint, the single most important driver to a great customer experience is being able to treat your employees well.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, do you think about how bad that could go if you were doing the opposite? Oh, my. It'd just be horrible. Uh, John, tell us about um, the three things that you think have really contributed to your success.
1: Yeah, well, I would say, um, you know, there's some advice that somebody had given me once upon a time when talking about, uh, you know, when you look at sales, you know, and and really trying to be able to figure out, you know, those things are going to be important when trying to to work with you, with your clients. You know, the, the most important thing that I've, I've never forgotten here is that it always boils down to the same thing, which is people working with people. So despite all the bells and whistles, despite all the things you might be able to bring to the table, if you forget that at the end of the day, it's going to be your ability to connect with that person on the other side of the table and be able to provide them with what they need You know, that's going to be the thing that's going to make you successful or not. Um, You know, the second thing is, you know, never be afraid to drive the bus. You know, so there are so so many times where what you try to do is to stay within your lane. You know, so this is somebody else's job or somebody else's focus. I can come back and I can tell everybody why we didn't get the deal. But if you, can, if you can take ownership of being able to drive the bus and go figure out the kinds of things that need to happen in order to be able to secure not only this sale, but to help your environment for that next deal that's down the road. You know, so learn from your mistakes in this one and figure out, you know, not only in terms of my own ownership in the process, but how can I drive the bus overall to be able to make sure that we're helping ourselves to be able to get that next deal? And then the third thing then is, um, you know, help the client see past the shiny thing you know there's so many times where the emphasis from somebody else is to focus on this this new thing that's out there uh, and you really lose sight of, of what's important what are the key things that uh, that are going to be ideal for you as a buyer then you're just focused on that thing that ultimately you know could be a, a flash in the pan so okay. if you if you can just make sure that you you have them keep their eye on the ball and not go try to figure out you know what that latest and greatest thing is that everybody's talking about. You know that's gonna gonna help you overall. You know so if you think about it, it's it's uh, you know from the perspective for for instance, I, if you're gonna be driving you know cross country you know in, in a car, you know you can figure out what kind of a car you're gonna wanna wanna drive it. You know so if if your options are a Chrysler, you know uh, that uh, you know you 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 get a lot of uh, uh, you know opportunity to be able to you know. To, to drive comfortably, to try to be able to, to get across dependably. You know all that. Or a Yugo who comes out with you know some new cup holders, you know, and and you know looks very appealing here as a result of that. I mean, which of those two things are you really going to want? The Yugo <laughs> now with the extra cup holders, you know, or the Chrysler that you can depend on. I haven't heard the name Yugo in forever. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm showing my age. <laughs> yeah, mine too. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. How did you get your start in sales?
1: You know, actually accidentally. So, um, you know, from, from my standpoint, it, it also lends itself a little bit to what I think is important for, for sales guys overall. You know, I, I'd never done sales until you know, the last 20, 25 years of, of my career. Prior to that, all of my time had been spent in operations and client services, running p and really understanding the business, you know, and from there I, I had become a client and uh, being on the client side then for five years, I understood things from a, from a buyer's perspective, you know, and then from there um, I was in a situation where I needed to relocate. I had a wife um, who had finished uh, medical school and starting a residency. So she went across country and I, I went along with her and, uh, and became a free agent. And uh, one of the companies that I had uh, worked with, had uh, had sought me out then to become a, a salesperson for the team, you know, and so wow. I ended up being the, the second salesperson for that organization. Uh, you know, they saw some traits they thought were, were going to be interesting, and uh, and I was I was pretty successful from the onset. And I got to tell you, the thing that I that was uh, I, I think important for me was the fact that I really understood the business, you know. Right. So I was on the other side. So I ran everything clearly, understood the product, knew what was right, what was wrong, um, and then I was, again, I was a buyer, so I clearly understood at that point, you know, everything that that hopefully I needed to know, at least going into it, in terms of what right. does a buyer look for, what, what right. is going to be important, uh, and then from there, I was able to, to customize the craft to be able to make sure that, you know, I was not only able to put myself in the client's shoes, but on top of that, the other part is that I was also able to then use my years of experience to be able to understand you know when a client is asking for something what are they what are they really asking for and then sometimes whether to talk them out of it you know Thank because you. you know you've got clients sometimes that are out trying to seek a thing versus a solution and when you really peel back the onion and try to figure out what they're trying to do you can you can figure out that no what they're actually looking for isn't exactly what they thought they were looking for
0: i see that in my world all the time um, so I bet that really helped you that coming from that perspective helped you be incredibly authentic as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's the key thing. Again, when you're, when you're selling to people, they, they can understand, you know, when, uh, you know, you, you understand the business and when you don't. And when the product that you've got at the table here is, is something that, that you're, you're selling from, you know, a slide or really selling under, because you understand, you know, what's, what's behind everything. Right. So it's, it's helped me to be able to, again, um, be consultative, you know, with, with oh my, my clients, you know, so you're not just selling a widget, but you're selling a solution. Right. Uh, and again, focus on their needs.
0: Yeah. And you're really helping them, especially when you're saying, hey, you know what, I know you really think you want to go this direction, but trust me, you don't. I'm going to save you a whole lot of pain. That's huge. That's absolutely huge.
1: Absolutely. You know, and so from a consultative selling standpoint, I can't tell you how many times, um, you know, you you really take a look at at what you're presenting. And it uh, it, most slides that you'll see from anybody out there are all about me, me, me. Mm -hmm. You know, we are so cool. Look at us. Mm -hmm. You know, look at the cool things that we do, where what you don't really do is you customize the whole thing to focus on what the client is really going to be looking for. So how much are you really trying to focus on the client's problems and having what you do solve their problems versus just pointing the spotlight at yourself saying, you know, again, we're, we're so cool.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. So thinking back when you had that first job and getting that start in sales and we all go into things knowing or thinking we know more than we really do. Uh, what do you know now that you wish you knew back then?
1: Yeah, I would say, um, you know, if you take a look at, you know, the, the, uh, the advice that I would give to salespeople, you know, is one, again, don't be a seller, you know, don't ever think of yourself as a salesperson, you know, think of yourself as a consultant, as a problem solver, somebody whose job it is, is to make somebody else's life better. So if you just think about, you know, from that person who's sitting across the table, you know, are they actually um, you know, going through this process to be able to just kick the tires? You know, or are you really there to be able to help them solve one of, solve one of life's great problems in their eyes? So yeah. is it a, a cost saving exercise? Is it, a, is it a customer experience exercise? Once you know what the actual problem is, you can help to solve that problem. And once they stop seeing you as a seller, yeah. and instead see you as a problem solver, uh, in that, in that case, you know, you're going to be a trusted ally. You're not going to be somebody who's an adversary through that whole process. That's right. You know, and the second thing then too, I would say that is, you know, as you're going through that process that as well, I guess, I, uh, I don't know how many times I've seen somebody that, that latches onto a really cool thing and they've got a solution in search of a problem instead of first going out again and trying to figure out the problem, and then finding the right solution. That's right. That's right. Tell me about your decision
0: to transition into sales leadership.
1: Yeah, so that was, um, that was, again, something that, uh, that I did, um, you know, somewhat, you know, accidentally as well. I think, uh, you know, it, it certainly wasn't a job that I had applied for, you know, once upon a time, but it's something that, that it evolved for me. So, uh, it started out with, with mentoring, you know, so as, uh, as, as I'm doing something right and, and, and you get a deal and you, you close that deal and, and other people notice, well, they, they certainly are gonna be trying to have other people try to emulate what you're doing. Uh, so, so from that, that point, I, I'd started out doing that. Um, it also then turned into, you know, what am I doing right? Can I document this? Can I, can I, can I do things to be able to help other people? And then, uh, and then from that standpoint, it eventually then, you know, migrated into having a couple of folks under me. And, and eventually I had as many as, you know, 16 direct reports uh, under me then as well. So the key thing for all that then is, you know, as a sales leader, you know, the, the, the most important thing to me has always been how can I be a mentor, you know, to other people? So how can I try to translate my success into others? You know, and if I'm doing well, can I turn that into four or five or six or 10 other people, you know, also doing well? So, um, so it, it's worked out great, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the, the focus on, um, on the people side of things and being a leader truly by trying to, to lead and engage and being part of, of, of people's business and trying to be able to make them be better. Um, and, and that eventually turned into, again, a, a role as a sales leader. What were some of
0: the big mistakes you made early on as a sales leader?
1: Well, um, I would say one is assuming that everybody had the same skill sets as me, you know, <laughs> so from that standpoint, uh, you know, one of the challenges is you want to turn everybody into a mini me, you know, and that, that just is not going to work. So you've got different people that have different strengths. They've got different things they bring to the table. And you've got some folks that are very strong relationship sellers You've got other people that uh, that are great at being able to sell the product, you know, and be able to instill confidence and in really understanding this thing, and being able to show how this thing is going to make your life so good. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got you've got other people that that are great at uh, at other things than as well. I mean, in terms of, of of people that are just very strong at, at process. One of the, the greatest sales guys that I had working for me was was somebody that. Uh, did a great job because he understood what it took to get from point A to point B at the various points of the the whole sales process. So getting from the initial prospecting phase and really understanding the client and and being able to go into that call very knowledgeably. And then secondly, transitioning from that into, into the proposal process and being able to put out just a really solid proposal based on everything that he learned in that first phase. And then from there, getting to that next phase, you know, which is bringing the client on site and having him do a site visit and understanding about us and seeing everything for real, and and knowing everything that it took to be able to execute that. And he was just rock solid in terms of process. Yeah. But this is not also somebody that was a huge relationship seller. This was also not somebody that, you know, really understood the product inside and out like like some of those other people. But he 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 knew how to sell in, in his way, and it absolutely worked. So once you can get past the the point of just trying to be able to turn everybody into you or turn everybody into a clone of of, of somebody that's really well and really trying to be able to leverage their strengths, you really find that uh, there's room for everybody at the table. That's awesome.
0: That's awesome. Um, What's the first thing you like to do when you step into a new leadership role?
1: Yeah, I would say that the key things is is understanding um, the metrics of the position to really, really be able to then use data as your friend to figure out then, you know, when you can identify where something's going right and something's going wrong, um, you know, and, and it also helps you understand those things maybe that are, that are noise versus those things that are real, you know. So, mm-hmm. For instance, um, you know, one of the things that I've I've found is that, you know, the, the the strongest sales guys aren't necessarily those who spend the most time dotting the I's and crossing the T's, you know, in, in their CRM tool and right. uh, in the reports and, and everything else. You know, it's it's generally, frankly, the opposite. It's it's the guys that uh, are you know have the 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 least results that show the most activity. You know, and and it's because they're trying to be able to justify that, yeah, they do have something going on. So I think you need to be able to differentiate between activity and results and then understanding those things that are meaningful in terms of the data that you can gather through that process to be able to figure out whether or not you're on track. So it's it's important to to understand, you know, the warning signs, you know, but I, 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 uh, I like to be able to make sure that I, I give the salespeople enough room to be able to... Do what they need to do, and understand that they truly own the deal. So you're not looking over their shoulder, but you are trying to be able to then figure out, you know, how to stay close enough to be able to do some course correction as needed. Right. So as, as Ronald Reagan used to say, you know, trust but verify.
0: Right. How do you get that balance though for like your top producers where they're not really leveraging CRM that much, um, and then they hit a slump? And now you really don't have anything to look back on with it from a data perspective to leverage to figure out, okay, this is you know what's changed, what's new, what what were you doing before that worked? Um, what can we try that's new? You don't have that data now. How do you how do you approach that problem?
1: Yeah, don't get me wrong. I think there is still the minimum expectation you should okay. have regarding all of your people to be able to to document the things that they're doing. And I think again, that's, that's part of the um, the focus on, on knowing those metrics that are going to be important for you to understand when something's going right and something's going wrong. Right. So as you've got, again, some of your, your other producers that may use that as a crutch, you know, being able to over document and take a look at the fact that I've left voicemails for this guy five days in a row so clearly I'm, I'm taking active steps to be able to uh, to, to show activity and that I'm trying really hard, um, but that still doesn't excuse poor performance. So mm-hmm. for the other guys, you'll notice that the focus is not necessarily as much on being able to justify you know, the, what, what they're doing here through that type of activity, but you absolutely need to be able to make sure that the key milestones and the key um, you know, uh, metrics that are going to be important for you absolutely are in there.
0: Yeah. So what, you know, revenue obviously is a big indicator of success for a team and for CRO. Um, what other measures do you use to track success or
1: define success? Yeah, revenue is, is, is clearly going to be the big, the big thing there, you know. So you're really looking at, at uh, just like in baseball, you know, two things. How many at-bats are you getting, you know, and then how many hits are you getting at your at-bats, you know. so. With that, you know, that means at the very top of the funnel, you need to be able to show activity, you know. So you need to be able to have enough deals that are there that will eventually progress into other things. And then once you can make sure that you've got enough deals there, then you've got to figure out where they're falling out and why they're falling out. All right. So from that standpoint. Uh, you, you again, track things just every step of the way. So as you are at the top of the funnel with your leads and they turn into something else, how many of those are, are not going anywhere? So have you not nurtured those enough to be able to turn it into an active opportunity? And then at the opportunity stages, you know, along that uh, the, along the way there, you're going to have those various milestones where you should be progressing into something else. Right. So again, it's a matter of figuring out how many deals you've got in the pipeline and then from there, are they progressing along you know, along the way here to be able to get you the conversions that you're looking for? Yeah. And again, you're going to find that, uh, you know, you've got individuals that have um, great success or not so great success along the way. Or you may find you've got process issues overall where everybody's stumbling at a certain, certain point then, too.
0: Right. So what about when the, the deal's won? Now we've got a new client we need to onboard. What about that part of the deal? Do you, are you guys pushing into that part of the world with data and process as well? Uh,
1: well, yeah, absolutely. You know, so from a, a salesperson's perspective, you know, it, it's always a little bit of a challenge, you know, at least in the business where, where we are, where we don't sell a thing and then be able to walk away and go sell somebody else a thing. You know, from our standpoint, usually it's going to be getting a certain share of wallet from your client. You know? So at the start, you'll, you'll get some kind of a, of a test, you know, or you'll get some portion of the business. If you do well, you get more, and if you do well, you get even more. And then from there, there's other parts of the business you might be able to get into, perhaps that weren't in scope in the original engagement. So absolutely, you know, we we want to be able to make sure that our team that's running the business makes sure that they keep the information that's in that CRM up to date, and then based upon that, it'll give the the salesperson some idea about whether or not we're growing at the rate that we expect. And, um, you know, are there other opportunities in there then as well? So are we billing what we should be? Are we uh, realizing the revenues that we should be? Are we going in the direction that we should? And then the salesperson will stay engaged or not engaged, uh, depending upon whether or not, uh, you know, we're seeing what we expect out of there.
0: Right. Before we start talking about CRM, do you have a funny or crazy sales story you can share with us?
1: Oh my goodness! Uh, well, there, there, you know, certainly several. I think I could, I could pick from. Um, the one that always comes to mind for me, actually, is uh, you know when I, when I, uh, it's it's an international company. I've usually worked for international companies, and I remember the first time that we closed a deal um, in Mexico, um, and I had my CEO for Mexico that that every time that we we had a new client that came down, he would always take them to his favorite restaurants. Um, I think it was called La Catarina's. It was in, in Monterrey, Mexico. And uh, and he'd take the clients out for just a great dinner, you know. And so I, I never understood this until you know I actually went through this, but you know, before dinner, um, you know, we'd we'd have, of course, you're in Mexico and, and you're celebrating. So you've got plenty of tequila that's being, you know, you know, tossed around <laughs> on as well. So that, that comes with the, the territory. Uh, but we had a great time doing that. And you get to, to actual dinner and he's like, all right, so now, you know, I would like to be able to introduce to everybody to this wonderful feast. We're going to be having a a, a whole plethora of pre-Columbian delicacies. And so you're thinking to yourself, oh, this ought to be great until until you break that down and then you realize, okay, pre-Columbian. So this is what people were eating before Columbus came over. Right. So it's certainly not going to be filet and, uh, and crab legs. No. Uh so instead of that, uh, you know, the the clients and the rest of us ended up eating um fried crickets. We had fried um cornworms and uh you know the, the, the coup d'etat there, we also had uh, you know, I guess poor man's caviar and eggs. Oh my god. And what I found out is that you know you could put you know anything on a tortilla with enough sauce, you know, it could be shoelaces, a bicycle tire, and it'll all taste <laughs> okay going down. But yeah, I, I just, I felt for the uh, the client there in the back, you know, who, you know, just, you know, midway through the meals, like, hey, can I get a hamburger? Oh, yeah. 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 So you always have to kind of know what you're in for when you go to other parts of the world. Oh, my. That,
0: I, I could just like just see the, the or just picture the the faces and, you know, people think, yeah, they're going to get a filet or crab legs or something. Like Here's your plate of crickets. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's exactly I'm sure now I, I understand why we, we've got so much tequila, I guess, going into the <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: That's awesome. great way to transition into talking about CRM. CRM, do you love it? Or do you hate it?
1: Uh. Well, you know, I think uh, CRM can be a, a necessary evil. So I can tell you that if you're a sales leader, it's absolutely your friend. And if you know how to be able to use it, you know, then then uh, you, you'll get, you know, what you need out of there, if you've got the right tool. Yep. Um, if you're a salesperson, I haven't met a salesperson yet, who, who love their CRM, you know, unless they're just a truly organized person that love to be able to use that as a means of being able to to track everything they're doing and keep themselves in in check. So I would say, yes, if you're able to to use a CRM in a way which doesn't require the salesperson to feel like they're spending half their day on the tool. um, And then secondly, if the outputs that you're getting as a sales leader and other people in the organization that are going to benefit from it, if they're able to see what they intend to see and truly get actionable information out of that tool, then I'd say it's the greatest thing since sliced bread.
0: Yeah, I agree. The, you know, you mentioned the people that, you know, that it's not a burden on the sales team. That is so important, Uh, but there is a balance there with uh, the amount of data you collect because, you know, you ask uh, the salespeople what she'd be putting there, they're like nothing. i do not put anything in crm but that's obviously not realistic um i was talking to one salesperson once and he said something that stuck with me forever that you know he had hit a down period and so what he decided to do was go back to crm pull everything out every deal that he'd done in the last year looked at all the wins looked at all the losses but he really focused on the losses comparing them to the ones he won to see what was different you know, what really moved the needle in those deals I won that I wasn't doing in the deals I lost. So if you're not capturing enough information about those losses, you're not going to be able to do that kind of retrospective. So coming from that perspective, what are what's your opinion about that proper balance or using that tool to really as a as a learning tool uh, for your sales team?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think I think part of it is being yeah, having them involved in the process, not just for the inputs, but also for the outputs. So they can understand how it's used. They see the reports that come out of it. You know, they've got access to being able to look at the data to also be able to figure that out. So how are my results, you know, not just in terms of overall revenue, I'm sure that's, that's shared, but what about the various other steps of the way? So how many deals do I have going on as compared to everybody else that's out there? What are the size of the deals? How far along are they? Where am I losing you know, my deals as compared to everybody else? You know, What are the outputs out of this that are going to help me get better as an individual? And if I also understand the things that everybody in the organization truly is going to be looking at. So what are the hot buttons? What are the key things that you know, people are going to react to positively or negatively? But once you understand that, it helps you to understand those things that you ought to be focusing your attentions on within the CRM. So therefore, you know, what are the must haves and what are the like to haves?
0: Yeah. So we had talked about in our pre-show interview that you guys, your firm is, is transitioning to a new CRM. We're not going to mention any names here, but, um, when PIP companies are going through that process of, Hey, we need a new CRM and. We re- we're having these issues or whatever, and we, we, we need a better platform. You mentioned earlier, it's very easy to focus in on those shiny objects um, of, oh, this is so cool, or this little feature is so cool. How do you avoid that when you're going through a, a selection process for something as important as CRM?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I think before you begin the process, I think you need to figure out what are those things that are compelling you to potentially go in and make a change. So figure out the pain points that you've got here right now, those things you wish you had, maybe not necessarily even those things you don't even know exist, you know, that'll come through the process, but figure out the things you wish you had and then map this thing out appropriately. So you understand those important things. And if down the road you're then able to find a supplier that can give you all of those things that you're looking for. Um, then at that point is when you can start looking for those extras, those shiny things.
0: Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, When I talk to people about this, that it's don't even think about technology, just put it out of your mind, look at your processes, look at your pain points, look at opportunities, find those opportunities where, where can we make it better? Where can we really move the needle for the organization? Focus on all that first, get that all figured out, then start looking at your technology of what technology platform really is gonna help us in those areas and really move that needle. Um, so many people focus in on the technology first, like, oh, I used this at my last company and I really liked it. Or, uh, you know, this one's got the great shiny objects, they put on a great demo or whatever, um, and they end up very dissatisfied. Um, have you ever been in a, a, a bad CRM implementation in your career?
1: Um, y- well, let me see. I, I, I've gone from bad CRMs, to other CRMs that work better, so I understand the difference between bad and good. I think mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, just uh, you know, early days of CRMs where you know really, oh, they, yeah. you know, there, there were there were there nothing there, you know, and then uh, and then from there, um, you know, the the flavor of, of CRM that we're using here today, as an example, is just another case where I know we want to make a a, a change, and uh, fortunately, I've I've had the opportunity to be able to see good in the past compared to not so good here right now, you know, and right. some of that perhaps, you know, could be, you know, under the, uh, um, you know, the influence of, uh, of familiarity. So, so go mm-hmm. with you know, what you're used to. However, you know, there's, there's other stuff that, that that's here where, you know, again, the, the, the shiny thing or whatever, you've got a lot of, of things that, 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 that look really nice as you're, you know, viewing the CRM, you know, in terms of, you know, here's the logo, here's this, and wow, it's got great visuals on there. Right. However, really, at the end of the day, you, you you take a peek at that and you figure out, okay, is it really usable or is it does it just look good? Right. And unfortunately, it it seems to be more the latter than than the former in this case. And so, I, I right. really you know like to have something where, you know, with the the press of a couple of buttons, I can I can generate some reports that that uh, you know for me are going to give me the data that I need overall.
0: Yeah, that's great. The uh, um uh, when it comes to uh, uh, CRM, uh, there is a lot of emphasis around user adoption. What's your plan or, or uh, have you gotten that far yet in terms of thinking about how you're going to drive user adoption in the new platform?
1: Um, yeah, I would say, you know, again, the, the, the key is fortunately for us, you know, we're, we're at the, the front end of this. So as we go into the new CRM, uh, the, the, the key is going to be getting everybody involved in, in terms of all of this. So, you know, as we make the decision and as we implement, it's going to be um, everybody having input about how best to be able to get what we want with minimal effort, you know, and not having additional fields that are superfluous to what we're looking at overall. So even if, if you've got you know, data which is available, but we don't really think we're going to use you know then let's let's you know avoid it you know let's not show it let's let's not make it mandatory you know and so forth and so let's just build what we need versus what we could potentially want and if we get everybody's involvement at the front end of this it's going to be a whole lot easier to be able to get their their adoption because they were part of the process yep. and uh, hopefully they understand what we're trying to make out of it
0: oh yeah i couldn't agree more it's really important to create that alignment early on get everybody's buy in get everyone rowing in the same direction Um, It's a lot easier than if everyone's, you know, going in different directions and the boat's just spinning. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, John, it's been great talking to you. We're coming up here on our, our end time here on Sales Lead Dog. If people want to reach out and connect with you, learn more about your company, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we are undergoing a a brand change here. So again, there's, uh, uh, you know, folks that may be able to find us, you know, uh, as per our our previous um, brand that we use for the entire organization. So that would be www.nearsol.us. But for purposes of our full service BPO uh, expertise here, that's www.cexperts.us. And you'll be hearing a lot more about that uh, coming up. And then you could always reach out to me directly at john.machinski, M-A-C-Z-Y-N-S-K-I at uh, cexperts.us. Uh, and uh, you can reach us via LinkedIn or, uh, or again on our website or via Facebook.
0: I love the name C-Experts. That just speaks right to what you guys do. That's awesome.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah, so uh, so I've been doing this uh, here for a while now as a, as a sales guy and it's in your blood or, or it's not. And so uh, I really appreciate you having me on, on the show here today. You know, just, you know, one additional thing I'll, I'll say here too, that uh, just as a, as a closing note, you know, the one thing that I, I've learned then as well in, in dealing with salespeople is that, uh, you know, salespeople are optimists at heart. You know, and so as a manager, you know, I, I really learned that uh, it's important to treat them as optimists. You, know, you really need to be able to encourage your sales force. Uh, don't rain on their parade. You know, and then the other keys there, just be honest, be consistent, you know, and be, be their ally to clear obstacles and be part of their success. So if there's just one, one other closing comment I'd love to make, it's just, again, be, be the guy that, that's their sunshine. Don't, don't be raining on your salespeople.
0: I love that. Yeah, that's great. That's great advice. You'd be a good guy to work for, John.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Chris. I appreciate that. I sure hope so.
0: All right. Well, thank you again. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube. And you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog sales lead dog is supported by impeller crm delivering objectively better crm for business guaranteed